0: Welcome to the 167th podcast, and the 137th is a city on a hill church. What a month. Pandemics, lockdowns, churches called unnecessary, monstrous bee-killing wasps, and as this podcast is being published, many of our major cities are in flames because of man's injustice to man. Chaos. Yet our God is a God of order, of mercy, and grace. As we look out over the blazing horizon, it looks like he's abdicated, turned everything over to the purveyors of darkness. Of course, that's not so. God is very much in control. But like Israel of old, we have severely strayed. To reveal to us the striking parallels between then and now, Pastor Mike continues in his study of Isaiah 2 as he opens verses 6 through 22. He's entitled this message, The Pagan Invasion. Here is Pastor
1: Michael Clark. Okay, if you would like to open up to Isaiah chapter 2, we are going to continue our expository study verse by verse through the book of Isaiah here. And we're going to read... We're going to finish this chapter tonight. Isaiah chapter two. We're picking up in verse six and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, uh, or study, uh, through verse 22, the end of the chapter here this evening. Isaiah chapter two, picking up in verse six. And I've entitled this message, the pagan invasion, the pagan invasion. Isaiah chapter two, picking up in verse six. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Now, just as a quick review, verses 1 through 5 really dealt with the subject of the latter days, and the reign of Jesus Christ or the reign of the Messiah over Israel and reigning over the earth from Jerusalem. And so the first five verses are really an encouragement to God's people to look to Him for the future and that there will be a time when the whole world is going to be established. The whole world is going to be under the reign of God and under the reign of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We also spent some time looking at verse 5 the last couple of weeks, which spoke about and speak of walking in the light of the Lord as God's people. We are commanded to be light in a dark world. We always have been commanded to be light because the light shines in the darkness. God is light. And so we shine brightly uh, for him as his people. This is this is our command as his people, be children of light. Walk in the light of the Lord. But he begins here in verse 6 to really warn his people about what is coming uh, upon them in the last days. And so really from Isaiah chapter 2 verse 6 all the way through to Isaiah, uh, really all the way through to the end of Isaiah chapter 4, it's really one prophecy. It's one message there. Uh, that was broken up into, uh, three chapters, chapters two, three, and four. And then he goes into, Isaiah goes into another prophecy, a different prophecy starting in chapter five, uh, looking at Israel as his vineyard. But here in chapter two and verse six, uh, the Lord begins to rebuke his people. He says, for you have forsaken, uh, your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers, like the Philistines. They are pleased with the children of foreigners. Now, eastern ways, the idea of being filled with eastern ways from Israel... Uh, most of the false gods were worshipped to the east of them. At least the gods that they were tempted to worship. There really wasn't much to the west if you think about it. Just the Mediterranean Sea is there to the west of Israel. And in the ancient world, all of the idolatry and the worship of false gods came from the east, from Assyria, from Babylon. Uh, from Ammon and all of these other gods that they were tempted to worship. Really, they came, the influences came from the East and, uh, God had actually even, um, well, in Second Kings chapter 17, I'll read this to you. Uh, Second Kings chapter 17 speaks about this in verse, chapter 17, verse 10 of Second Kings says this. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them, and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Verse 12, for they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I have commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. Verse 15, And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols. They became idolaters, and they went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves a molded image and two calves and made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying. And they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they had made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. So these are the eastern ways. These are the gods of the east that they were... Uh, drawn to they were attracted by the foreign gods and they went after them to worship them and, and of course in the end uh, they brought judgment upon themselves they forsook as it were the living God to go and worship all of these false gods the uh, spring of living water as Jeremiah said to go and uh, worship uh, and drink from broken cisterns that cannot hold water uh, and so God's judgment is coming upon them in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has an interesting prophecy. And Ezekiel was a contemporary uh, of Jeremiah, actually. Ezekiel came after um, Isaiah was already off the scene, but Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. But he was also uh, Ezekiel was also ministering to the people of Judah, even as Isaiah was ministering and prophesying to the people of Judah, just a little bit after Isaiah. Ezekiel chapter eight says this. This is a very interesting perspective that God gives the prophet Ezekiel about their idolatry in Judah and Jerusalem. He says this, Ezekiel eight verse five. Then he said to me, son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north and there north of the altar gate was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Verse six, furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and I saw and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in the midst stood Jehazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols, for they say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, "'Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing.' So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, "'Have you seen this, O man?' Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will also act in my fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. And so uh, it, it is it is something that, um, that God had forbidden, that God had warned them uh, not to go after these other gods of the lands. And uh, not only were they worshiping the gods, the foreign gods uh, in Israel and in Judah, but even those who were in the temple, in the house of the Lord, they were secretly worshiping the gods of the east and uh, praying and, and and weeping for Tammuz and the the goddess, a Sumerian goddess of fertility. Uh, and, And so it was just a total abomination. It was total hypocrisy at this point that the Jews were calling themselves the people of God. They were going through the motions of going to the temple. And yet they were really their hearts had gone after all of these foreign gods, all of these idols, as it were, of the land. And uh, it is it is very interesting today that the gods of the East are still permeating the Western world. I mean, the gods of the East, are, that's where Hinduism comes from, and the hundreds of millions of Hindu gods are worshipped in the East. Buddhism comes from the East. The New Age movement comes from the East. Uh, the Baha'i faith, all of these different Eastern mystic religions have penetrated America. They per- penetrated the West first, Europe, and then America, uh, and so it's just it's just fascinating to me that you know this this was written 2,600 years ago, and yet it's still applicable today for us uh, to be warned and to be aware that the gods of the East, this pagan invasion, that uh, basically brought um, Israel down. It was why God judged His people Israel and and Judah uh that they are the they are now penetrating the the western christian nations and uh, the gods of the east are worshiped openly now i would say that there are probably more adherents to buddhism uh and bahai and and the new age and hinduism in america perhaps even than really bible believing christians anymore and that wasn't always the case certainly had not been the case for most of our 400 uh, plus years of history as a nation here In the United States. Again, back in Isaiah chapter six, we read, or I'm sorry, chapter two, verse six, we read this Isaiah two, verse six, for you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways, the gods of the east. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were Israel's perpetual enemies all the way back. I mean, you go back in their history and the Philistines were always causing them problems throughout the book of Judges, throughout King Saul's reign, throughout David's reign, and then throughout their history. The Philistines were always a thorn in their side. And, uh, part of the problem is, is that they never really took all that land in the area of the Gaza Strip. It's modern day, uh, Gaza, uh, today is, is where uh, the Philistines were, the five cities of the Philistines. And uh, you remember Goliath and his brothers, the giants and so forth, that they came out of uh, this area, uh, Philistia. And uh, they were the perpetual enemies of Israel, but the Jews never really drove them out of the land. And so they became a Stumbling block. They became a hindrance to the nation of Israel because Israel did not obey God when they came into the promised land and drive all of the foreign people out and all, all of the foreign gods out. Uh, they just didn't, they just didn't, uh, appropriate all the land to themselves. At some point, they just stopped fighting and they just settled. And so these, uh, nations that worship these other gods, they, 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 just gave Israel trouble all the time. They'd either attack them and, you know, enslave them or, uh, steal their grain or their harvest, uh, or make them pay tribute to them, uh, if they were a powerful king. And, and yet the, the children of Israel, not only did they not obey God's command to, to, to seize the land and to drive all of God's enemies, out of the land and to take possession of it as he commanded them but then they went after the other gods of these nations and they as we read earlier uh, in second uh, kings they offered their own children as blood sacrifices to these foreign gods and so he's saying they're soothsayers like the Philistines and that was uh, certainly it, to call Israel or Judah the Philistines to say you're just like the Philistines was a tremendous insult to them but it was Uh, It was the truth. Uh, You know, to some degree, the Philistines are still a thorn in the side. Uh, of of the Israelis, the modern-day Israelis. What's interesting is there really are no more Philistine people left. I mean, they were one of the ancient tribal peoples that were just lost to history, as just about every other ancient people have been lost to history. They get conquered and they get assimilated by somebody else, take on new traditions, new religions, new languages, and so forth. So there really is no such thing as a Philistine anymore. However, um, the emperor Hadrian who was a Roman emperor, in 132 AD, there was a revolt that the Jewish males rebelled against the Romans. The Jewish males were always rebelling against the Romans. Before that, they were rebelling against the Greeks, trying to have autonomy uh, over Israel for themselves. And uh, uh, they the Bar Kokhba revolt is what it was called in 132 AD. And all of these uh, uh, Jews were rebelling against the Roman emper- Empire and the Roman emperor trying to throw them out of the land once and for all. And so Emperor Hadrian just had had enough of the Jews. And so he went and he just obliterated uh, Jerusalem and the Jews. As a matter of fact, he banished the Jews from staying in Jerusalem. Uh, If you were a young, healthy male, you were probably killed or taken as a slave by Hadrian. You certainly weren't allowed to stay in the land. The only people that were left In the land of Israel after 132 AD, after the Bar Kokhba revolt was put down by Emperor Hadrian, was the weak, the sick, the aged, the lame. That's the only people that were allowed to stay because uh, Hadrian knew that they wouldn't be able to rise up against him militarily. All the men were killed or they were driven out into other lands. And that's when the Jews were spread actually all over the world from that point on. The Jews really never settled anywhere. I mean, they just, they just spread out all over the world. Uh, uh, until 1948 when they began to come back to Israel after they were made a nation again. But for almost 2,000 years, that's why they're called the Wandering Jews because they really had no homeland and it started in 132 AD. But part of the insults that Hadrian wanted to slap upon Israel was to change the name of their land. And so he changed the name of their capital city from Jerusalem, the Holy Eternal City of God, to uh Aliena Capitolina, which means capital of Hadrian. So Hadrian took his own name and stuck it on Jerusalem, Elia Capitolina. He named Jerusalem after himself, and he changed the name of the Holy Land from Israel or Judah to Palestine as an insult to the Jews because their perpetual enemies, the Philistines, uh, you know, it was the biggest insult he could think of is to call them basically Philistines and say, you're no longer Israel, you're Philistina or you're Palestine. And so now all the people there and all the maps and so forth, instead of saying Israel before 1948, the Roman maps and even from the Western European countries when they would have maps, even American maps, even old American Bibles will refer to that land prior to 1948 uh, as Palestine instead of Israel. And so, uh, it, it's, it's still, you know, the, and of course the Palestinians are Arab peoples. Uh, the, the Philistines were, were white and they were giants and so forth. They were, uh, seafaring peoples from, probably from, uh, southern Europe, actually, the, the, the real Philistines. Uh, but the Palestinians are not Philistines. They're, they're Arabs. They're really Jordanians. Uh, and, and so, um, it's still it's it, there's still a thorn in the side though of the jews and and god is saying here you're you're just like the philistines uh, you're you're soothsayers he says like the philistines he says they're pleased with the children of foreigners and so again god had commanded them not to marry outside of their religion i mean it was it was a pretty significant thing if they would marry outside of their religion in this day they would go after false gods. And, and so he's saying they're delighting themselves in, in children of foreigners. It, it's not, this has nothing to do with, uh, not marrying people from another, uh, race or something. It's got nothing to do with that. It was that God had commanded his people to preserve them because he was going to bring the Messiah through them, uh, and, and he wanted them to be uh, basically preserved from the nations around them that were into all sorts of gross immorality and idolatry and human sacrifice and so forth. God was trying to protect them and preserve them. And yet they went after, uh, children of the foreigners. They married, uh, uh, those who would then lead them and lead their families into idolatry. And all of these things God had warned them about and, 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 and told them not to do this. In verse seven, we read, their land is also full of silver and gold. They were very wealthy at this time. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. Now, if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, in the book of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses said this before the children of Israel ever came into the promised land. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. And so way back in Israel's history, they were warned about not having kings multiply um, horses, multiply wives, or multiply gold because these things would lead them astray. They would begin to trust in their gold instead of trusting in God. They would begin to trust in their wealth instead of trusting in the Lord. They would begin to trust in their military might. The horses and chariots represented their military might instead of trusting in the Lord. And in taking, you know, multiplying wives, the kings would then eventually, because what happens? Especially in the ancient world, kings would marry princesses from other countries. This is exactly what Solomon did. King Solomon did, who led the whole nation really into idolatry by doing exactly what Deuteronomy 17 said not to do for the kings of Israel. He multiplied wives to the point where he had a thousand wives. A thousand wives and concubines. And they were pretty much all political marriages. He was marrying uh, the daughters of kings of all the nations around him so that he would have a, a family connection so he could trade with them and, and make money and increase his wealth uh, and not have to go to war against them. Uh, but God had forbidden that. Uh, he actually went down to Egypt exactly as Moses in Deuteronomy 17 said not to do. Is exactly what King Solomon did. He went into Egypt and bartered and traded for the best horses in the world. And he began to multiply his horses from Egypt, exactly as God said not to do that. That's what Solomon did. And then he multiplied gold and silver in the land. They were so rich under Solomon, so wealthy, that it said that gold was as common as silver. And silver was as common as rocks. There was so much silver, it was the equivalent of seeing rocks. It wasn't even valued. There was so much silver in the land. And there was so much gold in the land that it was like the equivalent of silver. And so uh Israel did everything God warned them not to do. And now, as a result, they're s- going to suffer the consequences of the judgment of God. After all these hundreds of years from the time that God had... uh called them and, and brought them into the land and given them the law of God and, and uh, done everything He could for them as their God and as their Father. They still went after the foreign gods and they went to worship uh, the gods of the land. And so again, you see the, the digression. Their land is full of silver and gold. So once the land is full of silver and gold, there's no end to their treasures. All of a sudden, you have money. And when you have money, people think you don't need God anymore. Uh it, it's actually very interesting that if you even study the history of the church, wherever the church has really ruled throughout history, whether it's a pope or whether it's a king that rules over England or a ki- or a pope that rules over the Roman Catholic Church uh or or the Eastern Orthodox Church their leadership there, uh, whenever you have uh Christianity running a state or even, you know, running a kingdom, it becomes totally corrupt. The church becomes corrupted by all of the wealth and all of the power and all of the money because power corrupts. Money is power and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. These things are true. It's just human nature. And so typically, whenever the church throughout history, just like this with God's people, has been very wealthy, very prosperous um, it, it's it's really almost the beginning of the end for that church or that country with a king that is over the church uh, because they begin to trust in their treasure. They begin to trust in their money. You know, when you go to poor countries like Africa and India, they don't even have an ibuprofen to take for a headache. I mean, literally, when you pray uh, for a, a widow in a thatched hut in Africa and Uganda, who has a migraine headache, there is no other option except for prayer for, for, for this person to be relieved of their pain. Uh, because they don't have drug stores. They don't have money. They don't have the means to go and to go to a doctor. They don't have doctors in the bush. They don't have hospitals. And so that's why a lot of them go to medicine men and witch doctors and things like that. Uh, because, you know, they, 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 they have nothing. They're so poor, and yet their faith is so strong, and that's why the the church is so strong throughout so many of these very impoverished countries. They have nothing, but they know the Lord. They have His hope, they have His word, uh, and they're you know they trust Him. They pray for everything. They have great faith when they pray because they have no other choice. If God's not going to save them, they're done. They have no hope uh, apart from God. But you look at Western Europe, or you even look at the church in America, you know. We don't really even, you know, <laughs> instead of, instead of praying, we call 911. You know, it's, it's, it's just the first response is dial 911 and get the ambulance here. And then maybe we'll pray later as an afterthought. But our first response is to turn to the government, turn to the hospitals, turn to the doctors, you know, t- turn to whoever, wherever, what other institution, the 911, the police officers or what have you, the fire department. And all these things are good, but the problem is, when we're so wealthy and we're we're so prosperous that we forget to even pray to God to ask Him for help when we have our times of need and our struggles. And that's how Israel uh, had become. Their land was full of silver and gold. There was no end to their treasures. And so, in essence, money became their God. They began to worship the gods of the pagans who represented power uh, and money. He says there's no end to their chariots or their horses uh, and their chariots. And again, this is military might. This is their military prowess to where uh, they would they would turn to their generals. They would turn to their armies uh, rather than turning to God, rather than praying to God, rather than humbling themselves before God and fasting uh, before God. They would turn to their armies and to their generals and to their chariots to go and to defeat their enemies. And so it becomes really, it becomes... Um, like leaning on something other than God, like, like a, like a staff. Instead of leaning on the Lord in your time of weakness, you lean on your money, you lean on your military, you lean on your economy, you lean on your medical system, uh, I- I- instead of leaning on the Lord. And again, nothing's really changed. There's nothing new under the sun. It's human nature. These things get in the way of our trusting in the Lord. He says in verse 8, their land is also full of idols. So it's sort of a digression. Silver, gold, treasures, horses, chariots, and then idolatry. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. We looked at this in some detail. These Scriptures uh, this past Sunday. I encourage you to uh, check out the message if you were not here on Sunday. Uh, but the idols primarily represent uh, or the gods, the false gods represent power or money. They represent pleasure. They represent lust or, uh, some of people are afraid of the gods. So they, it's a fear. They worship the false gods out of being terrified of them or afraid of them. And it was a big problem in the land. Verse nine, he says, people bow down and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. And it's, it's probably, uh, the proper understanding of the scripture that they're bowing down before their gods in the context. It's not that they're bowing down, humbling themselves before the Lord. They're humbling themselves before their idols. The land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. So again, uh, their money has, has just brought in, you know, total corruption to them their power their wealth their treasures and so it's it's always a dangerous thing when the church is prospering financially i mean we don't want to struggle financially as a church but when you are struggling you really humble yourself before god you really spend a lot more time in prayer and fasting and humbling yourself and seeking the lord when you're struggling uh, that's true for us as christians not just as churches but as christians when everything's going well we don't have time for god he's not a priority for us you know, everything's fine, you know, we think. And yet, uh, and, and, until we realize everything's not fine because we have not uh, kept God in his proper place as the, the main focal, focal point and focus of our lives, we've replaced him with something else or something else, and, and, and that's idolatry. He says this in verse 10, and now he gets into a prophecy, really, a last day's prophecy here about the future. The uh, judgment of God, the tribulation period. Verse 10, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now, if you skip to verse 19 of chapter 2, he continues. It's the same thought here. They shall go into the holes of the rocks, chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 19, and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. And in that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold which they had made, each for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. And so this is actually a prophecy that will be fulfilled, literally be fulfilled, at the end of the tribulation period. How do we know that? Well, because the book of Revelation uh, tells us that. In Revelation chapter 6, I'll read this to you. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, we read this. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so this is at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, as Jesus Christ is coming back, heaven is rolled up like a scroll, and everyone is going to see Jesus coming on His white horse. And his armies following after him. Revelation 19 details this for us. Uh, and they're going to be terrified because they've taken the mark of the beast. They've worshipped the devil's man, knowingly worshipped the devil's man, rejected Jesus Christ, persecuted uh, the tribulation saints and God's people Israel. And Jesus is coming back to rescue his people. Uh, uh, really, Israel, but also the tribulation saints. I don't believe the church will be here. We think the church will have already been raptured at this point. But uh as Jesus is coming back, you notice that he's not coming as a lamb this time. He's not coming as a little baby this time. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to judge his enemies. And it's, it's not His grace and His mercy. See, we've been talking about the grace and mercy of Jesus for 2,000 years. That's not how they're going to see Jesus at this time. Those who have rejected. Uh, God's only begotten Son and worship the Antichrist, taking his mark upon their right hand and their forehead, the 666. They're gonna hate God. They're gonna hate Jesus Christ. And actually, Satan and the Antichrist are gonna gather the armies of the earth to try and derail the second coming of Christ. They are gonna turn their uh instruments of war, their weapons against Jesus as he returns. I mean, you talk about, you know, just folly. They're going to try and derail the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes. And yet these here are, are you know, they, they know what's coming. All of these men, the mighty men, the commanders, at some point, they're going to flee. They're going to hide. They're going to jump into the caves and into the rocks of the mountains. And and they're going to cast down their idols at this point and realize that their false gods uh, and the devil and the Antichrist cannot save them. Hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne. That's God the Father. And from the wrath of the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ who's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah for the great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? This is one of the reasons that we don't believe we're going to be here as a, as a church, because we're not appointed unto wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, God's not appointed us unto wrath, his people, because Jesus took our wrath upon the cross. God's wrath and judgment was poured out upon Jesus on the cross of Calvary. So therefore, uh, we're in Christ, we're forgiven, we're his bride, we're his body. Uh, we don't need to suffer God's wrath. Jesus already suffered the wrath of God for our sins, by faith, we believe in that. We trust in that. So these are those who have rejected the grace and mercy of God and align themselves with the devil, with the Antichrist. And so God's wrath is going to come upon his enemies, uh, not his people, not his bride. So these uh, the, these people are going to be uh, basically done. This is the end of the tribulation period actually when Jesus Christ is coming back to judge His enemies and set up His kingdom. It's all over for them at that point. Their false gods could not save them and will not save them. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, we're told that although all these judgments are coming upon these people for worshiping the Antichrist and following the Antichrist, it says this about them, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent, of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. So remember, all the false gods that people worship, whether it's the Hindu gods or any other gods, any other god besides or Allah, uh, the Muslim god, any other gods besides the the God of the Bible, they're worshiping demons. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, verse 21 of uh, Revelation 9. They did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or of their thefts. In other words, they were not repentant. They were not sorry. Uh, they were so hardened in their sin. And you could see that that's how people are becoming. People are not sorry for their sin. People are not humble uh, before God in the days in which we live. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse uh, in, in, until this time um of judgment comes upon the earth. Back in Isaiah chapter 2, and verse 12, continuing. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. And so, here we're talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath. The day of the Lord is the great tribulation period that Jesus warned. Uh, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would survive. But for the sake of the elect, who we believe He's speaking of the nation of Israel, uh, God's elect at that time. But for the sake of the elect, the days will be cut short. Uh, this is the time of of, of God's wrath. Uh, his reckoning being poured out. Daniel called this time the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's woe uh, because it's just going to be such a perilous incredibly difficult time for planet earth like never before in all of earth's history probably the only thing comparable would have been the time of Noah's flood and uh and so the day of the lord uh is is being spoken of here and and the day of the lord is coming upon everything proud and lofty upon everything that is lifted up and it shall be brought low the Lord is going to balance the scales of justice. Verse 13, he says, "...upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall." And so these are the places places where they were worshiping their false gods, the cedars of Lebanon. They would make their idols carved out of these cedars of Lebanon. Big, strong, tall cedar trees in Lebanon. They'd make their idols out of them. Uh, Upon the Oaks of Bashan, they would uh, go up to the oak groves and they would have sacrifices, human sacrifices, and they would worship the false gods in the oak groves. That's where the pagans would do their magic and their witchcraft. Uh, And and, and Israel, Judah, was going up there to worship these false gods. And, um, you know, not much has changed. The Satanists still go to the high places to worship Satan. Uh, witchcraft is still practiced, and black magic and the occult is still pra- practiced in sacred groves all over the world. Uh, this has not changed. It's still happening today. Uh, and, and it's amazing that, that, uh, that this has been going on for thousands of years, and still today they believe that there's high places, there's holy places uh, where they could go and get their magic done and their witchcraft and uh, the worship of these false gods. He says in verse 14 upon the high mountains, upon the hills that are lifted up and upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, the high places is where they would worship the false gods and uh, if you look throughout history, you look at all of these foreign nations of Israel, all of these foreign powers, Egypt, they had their their uh, uh, pyramids, uh, you had all of the the towers all over the world. The ziggurats or the towers that went to heaven all over the ancient world. In South America, uh, in Central America, uh, in India... In Africa, all over the world, in the, in the Middle East, they would, they would build these cigarettes. They didn't have internet. They didn't have technology to communicate with each other. Why were they all building the same things all over the world? They didn't know what the other people were doing. Certainly the Mayans and the, they didn't know what the Egyptians were doing or what the Assyrians were doing or what have you. Uh, and yet it is the devil that's behind this idolatry. And so these demons were, uh, basically showing Uh, these people how to worship the devil, how to worship the demons, the stars of the heavens as it were, the high places, everything that was high and lifted up, every high tower, every fortified wall. And it's speaking now of their their holy ziggurats or their pyramids or their towers. And oftentimes they would offer human sacrifices in these places. I mean, even uh, in Central America and South America 500 years ago, they're uh, excavating and digging out these huge pits of human sacrifice where they would take little girls or little children and cut their hearts out and eat their hearts. This is real stuff that people were even doing just a few hundred years ago uh, in Central America. And so uh it's the devil. The devil gets these people to offer up their own children for power or because they're terrified uh, of these demons. And so God is saying, I'm going to bring a judgment upon all these places that are worshiping the devil and worshiping uh, the demons and the false gods. Um, it really began with the Tower of Babel way, way back, right after the time of the flood of Noah. As soon as the flood waters receded and uh, people were beginning to resettle uh, there um, after Noah landed, and, and 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 you know the ark and and so forth. And uh, you read that almost immediately after the flood, you see this story in Genesis chapter eleven about the Tower of Babel. Genesis eleven one says this: Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Interesting, coming from the east. And they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do now, uh, begin to do now. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so they were building what? They were building a ziggurat or a tower to heaven to worship the stars. The stars in the scriptures are referred to as the angels in the scriptures in the Old Testament. The stars are, you know, the morning stars sang together at the creation. It's speaking of the angels before the fall. But the devils are fallen stars. That's why the pentagram is this upside down star. If you see the pentagram, it's a star that's turned upside down. it's the uh, it's, it's witchcraft, it's Satanism, it's one of their symbols. It is a star that's falling from the heavens, the pentagram, because behind that star that's fallen is a demon. there's a power that's there. and uh, nothing there's nothing new under the sun, guys. Satan still wants to be worshipped. It's interesting that man. Uh, did not go to God after the flood, didn't go to worship God and really go to please the Lord. A man got together and wanted to worship the devils, wanted to worship the demons from from the fallen stars from heaven. Uh, and God had to confound their languages. That's why it was called the Tower of Babel because they couldn't understand each other after God confused their languages. And they were frustrated. They stopped their big building project of building the Tower of Babel and then they scattered all over the world. Uh but now, what do we see? We see that man is speaking one language again. For the first time in history, man can communicate all over the world instantaneously, actually, through the internet. And there are language programs. Actually, there's a language program online called Babel. There's a language program you could buy or you could pay for called Babel. And you could learn any language in the world. Every language in the world. Matter of fact, there are translating services that you could speak to somebody in Mandarin Chinese, and they could speak to you. They have an app that's from Mandarin Chinese to English. You have an app that's from English to uh, Mandarin Chinese, and you could communicate with someone in English speaking to their phone, and their phone will translate it into Mandarin Chinese, then they'll speak Mandarin Chinese into their phone, and it will speak English to you. This This is reality. And so once again... Man is at a point where he um, can worship together, get his head together, get his mind together, his thoughts together, the whole world speaking one language to worship the devil. And that's exactly what uh, uh, the conditions are going to be when the Antichrist comes. Everyone is going to worship the Antichrist on, on the world. And if you don't, it's going to cost you your life. So back in Isaiah chapter two, as we wrap up here, after God says he's going to judge every high tower in verse 15, every fortified wall, he says this in verse 16. Upon all the ships of Tarshish and upon the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. And so once and for all, God is going to judge the idols of the land and the demons that are being worshipped and the Antichrist and the devil and the false prophet. Uh, he's he's going to come back and he's going to uh, make war with them and completely destroy them, abolish them. Verse 19 says, they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. And there are going to be great shakings that are going to be taking place at this time. Earthquakes, the earth wobbling like a drunken man, the prophets declare at this time. Uh, uh, earthquakes so severe that nothing is going to stand as Jesus Christ returns, it's, the earth is going to be shaken and every high thing is going to be laid waste. It's just going to collapse. And so the people are going to be terrified. they you know, Everything's going to be collapsing. They're going to have nowhere to go. So they're going to go into the holes of the ground, into the caves of the earth. In that day, a man will cast away, verse 20, his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks, into the crags of the rugged rocks, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Verse 22, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Cease yourselves from that man. Don't don't uh, put man in the place of God. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostril, nostrils. For of what account is he? You know, uh, anyone that is going to try to woo you away from a relationship with Jesus Christ and and get you to worship other gods or even to uh, tolerate the worship of other gods. Look, uh, we're, we're no one else's judge. It's hard enough for us to stay uh, on, on the straight and narrow path. But um, do not do not listen to. Voices that are going to lead you into idolatry, that are going to lead you to worship other gods. Uh, you know, men whose, whose, whose breath is in their mouth. I mean, versus God who created all life. Psalm 146 says this, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. "...do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. And so, you know, some trust in horses and some trust in, in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We, you know, it's, it's just very simple, guys. Either God is first in your life or, 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 or someone else is first. Something else is first in your life, as we looked at last Sunday. And, uh, the Lord is so good. He's, he's so kind. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He doesn't want anything from you. He just, he just wants your heart. He just wants you to love him. He gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you the time that you have in this life. And He and he wants you to, to, to please Him. He wants you to live for Him. There's all these other voices, all these other gods that are calling to us to pull us away. And yet, why would we depart from the Lord? Why would we put our trust in man? Put our trust in princes? You know, people die and their spirit returns to the earth. Uh, that man's plans perish. But happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. God... He you know he he lives forever uh he never changes he's always the same. He says, "I change not, God is good, God is merciful, God is loving. God has good plans for us as his children, His plans for us are good to give us a hope and a future, and he's working all things together for our good and so let us rejoice in in the Lord, let us rejoice in uh, in serving him and serving him only guys, because all these things we're reading about are happening right now in in our day, you know, in this age, as the world is getting prepared to accept the 666 and to accept the Antichrist and serve and follow him. Uh, and yet the church is, is going to stand up and be strong in these last days and we're going to lead many sons to glory uh, as it were.
0: Email us at podcast at com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchipe, California.